Hello. <laughs> I feel like I've just sort of beamed in from the Starship Enterprise. Zoom. <laughs> uh, good morning, everyone. Um, right. Well, um, I bring you greetings from Newquay. Debbie and I have been away for the last week with our extended family, and it's amazing how many things you can do in the rain and still have fun. We've been swimming in the rain, we've been to the beach in the rain several times, been to the aquarium in the rain. Uh, what else? We went to, to, to on a steam train in the rain. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm glad to see it's not actually raining today. Um, we've, uh, we've got a, a fantastic passage to have a look at this morning, um, all about this chap, Zacchaeus. And um, I wonder if you can tell me, um, what do you think these people have got in common? So, Martin Luther King, Winston Churchill, Napoleon, Sir Isaac Newton, J.R.R. Tolkien, Aristotle, Mahatma Gandhi, Beethoven, Paul Simon, and Bilbo Baggins. That's very good. What do you think, John? Yeah, they're all short. They're all short men. So to kind of spell this out in a little bit more detail, Martin Luther King and Winston Churchill rose to the mighty height of five foot seven. Uh, Napoleon and, and Isaac Newton were five foot six. Tolkien and Aristotle, five foot five. Mahatma Gandhi, five foot four. Beethoven and Paul Simon must be the musician, five foot three. And, but the winner is Bilbo Baggins at a stunning three foot six. <laughs> Although, of course, he was fictional. So in a sense, he doesn't really, really count. And um, Zacchaeus, uh, famously, is, is a short man. He's a short man. That's a, quite an important part of our story this morning that we're going to be having a look at. Um, there was a, a famous um, preacher uh, by the name of Spurgeon who, uh, who, who actually ran a sort of school for preachers. And uh, one of the things he liked to do was he liked to, uh, he liked to put people on the spot and say, right, okay, you... I would like you, please, to come up now and preach a sermon on this. And, and he, he did this on one occasion and said to one of his students, I'd like you to come up and preach a sermon on uh, Luke 19. Uh, it's, it's about Zacchaeus. So this uh, chap thought, oh, my goodness. And um, he stood up and delivered his sermon in three sentences. Uh, it went as follows. First, Zacchaeus was a man of small stature, so am I. Second, Zacchaeus was very much up a tree, so am I. And third, Zacchaeus made haste and came down, so will I. <laughs> um, but it's not all bad news for, for those of us that are a little shorter, um, because apparently, um, if you're a little shorter... Uh, you tend to live longer. Uh, you're less prone uh, to cancer. You tend to have lower blood insulin levels. So um, it's not all bad. Um, and actually, I think it, it tends to 
defined to a degree. Your path in life, very often, um, shorter people tend to be great high achievers. Zacchaeus had actually risen to the position of chief tax collector in one of the wealthiest towns in, in the province. So he, he would have had a whole team of sort of sub-tax collectors beavering away on his behalf. Um, so he must have been a chap of real determination and ability, um, as is so often the case. Moving sideways a bit, we're going to sort of look at the bigger picture as we've made our way through Luke. Um, I don't know how many of you enjoy, enjoy films. Do you know what I mean by a road movie? A road movie? So a road movie is a movie which is kind of framed around a journey. And you do this terrific sort of journey, and it's all about how the relationships develop as you go along and stuff happens, and it's the kind of, you know, setting, really, for the, for the, for the film. So I'll give you some examples. Easy Rider. Have you seen Easy Rider? Maybe it's just my age, but uh, it's a great film. Um, Little Miss Sunshine. That's another great road movie all about the journey. Uh, Thelma and Louise. Um, now, I'm going to put it to you that actually Luke is a bit of a road movie. Now, if you don't believe me, get your Bibles out and turn to Luke and see if you can find your way to Luke chapter 9. And uh, we're looking at verse 51. And once you've got there, put, your, put one finger in there and then see if you can skim forward a bit to Luke 19, verse 28. <clears throat> and in Luke 9, you will see that Jesus, at that point in Luke, sets out resolutely for Jerusalem. That's the beginning of the journey. And we then had 10 chapters worth, because by the time you get to Luke 19, verse 28, he's arrived in Jerusalem. So Luke is a great road movie, isn't it? It's about the journey, really. It's, it, and all the stuff that happens. And actually, as he goes through that journey, there are things that emerge, themes that come through as he makes this sort of journey through. And he's very clear to his disciples what he's up to. What he's up to is he's seeking the lost. That's what he says. I haven't come here to look after those who are found. I've come to find the lost. And uh, we got 10 chapters in the road, on the road. And now, here we are in Luke 19, and we're pretty close to our destination. We're kind of one stop away. And for those people like uh, Stephen at the back there, who enjoys a long walk, he will know that 15 miles is a day's walking. Uh, and that's how far they are away now. So Jericho, 15 miles away from Jerusalem, one stop to go. And do you know, the, the word has spread, and Jericho is abuzz with the excitement of Jesus, who has gathered about him a reputation as he's made his way along. Um, and we then hear about this chap, 
Zacchaeus. Now, I've been doing a little bit of um, research because I was interested to know um, about Zacchaeus' job. He was, he was the chief tax collector, really, or um, he was responsible uh, for collecting the taxes in, in Jericho. Now, Jericho actually was a pretty well-off place. There was a lot of trade that went on there. It benefited very much from being a sort of stopping place on the way through to Jerusalem. It was a wealthy town, and therefore to be the chief tax collector was a pretty good job to have. Um, the way it worked in sort of rough terms was that the Romans liked to collect their taxes in a particular way. And the way it worked was that if you fancied the job of tax collector in a particular province, you bid for it. You said, look, I tell you what, I will offer you so much money if you give me the job of being tax collector. And you were then responsible for producing to Rome all the amount of money that you were meant to produce according to the rules that they set. Um, and then anything else that you managed to make on top of that, that was all yours. And they had a kind of bidding process. So basically the job would go to the, to the person who, who bid the most. It was an auction. And um, this, this system turned out to be really quite profitable for Rome. Uh, it was a very smart way of doing it. But it was also pretty profitable for people who got the job. And the other interesting thing I've discovered is that actually, typically, the, the chief tax collector um, for a region would also have been one of the main bankers. If you needed money, you would go to this guy and you could borrow it from him. The only downside was that they charged fairly penal rates of interest, like 4% a month, something like that. So that's pretty... You know, these days there are laws against that sort of thing, but actually the Romans didn't mind too much. There was a lot of corruption and a lot of resentment. So this chap Zacchaeus, as the chief tax collector, would not have been Mr. Popular, would he? He wouldn't have had a great circle of friends and buddies, I wouldn't think. Um, and so, although he was undoubtedly wealthy, Luke tells us he was wealthy, um, he, he was probably quite a lonely guy. Um, so, I think that helps us see this, see this in context. And the people, and particularly you know, his own people, the Jewish people, tended to see tax collectors, and Zacchaeus in particular, as being, you know, they were collaborators. They were raising money, occupying forces. They saw them as being essentially godless individuals. And if you even, if you socialized with someone like that, then, um, you know, you ate with them or anything like that, then it would do not much for your uh, credibility the way in which you're viewed, really, by the other people. So let's remember that as we go through. Um, still with your Bibles, have a quick look at what's been going on in chapter 18. So skimming it, I'm trying to get the big stuff. Verse 15, people bring little children to come and see Jesus. And the disciples say... 
what, you don't want to waste the teacher's time with little children. Um, he's far too important for all that sort of thing. And Jesus says, no, 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 allow the little children to come to me. Don't get in their way, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then what happens? Verse 18, 27, Jesus meets the rich ruler. Now, I find this really interesting, because Jesus says, look, how hard is it for someone as rich as this to enter the kingdom of God? He challenged the chap to give away everything and follow him. And he, 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 we get the feeling he couldn't do it. Um, but Jesus says, well, you know, but actually things which are impossible with man are possible with God. Um, Zacchaeus, now he was a rich man, wasn't he? Here's another rich man. That's just half a chapter later. So Jesus is meeting a second rich man. The story comes out differently, doesn't it? So there's a, there's a thing to think about. Next, he meets a blind beggar at the uh, side of the road, crying out for mercy. And, uh, and Jesus sees him and he blesses him, restores his sight. Zacchaeus, actually, for different reasons, couldn't see either. And uh, there's, there's a, a blessing for him in store as well. Um, so Jesus, in chapter 18, I think the thing that really came across to me looking at this was that he's always doing the sort of thing that you don't expect. There's a rich young ruler, the sort of chap you'd normally pay attention to, and it gives him a bit of a hard time, really. There's a blind beggar, sort of, and, and actually the crowd were saying, no, 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 keep him away. There's the little children, and Jesus isn't having any of it, is he? He runs against what you would consider to be normal. And um, I think that uh, as, we, as we begin to look at our story, um, we can, we can really begin to see how Jesus' mission, his, this whole mission, seeking the lost, comes into focus. So, looking at the reading, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at verse 5, now in chapter 19. So, Jesus reached the spot, and Zacchaeus had rather must have been a bit embarrassing for him. I mean, for heaven's sake, he was, he was the chief collector of taxes. He, he would command a certain amount of respect, and he'd scuttled off, couldn't see, and he climbed a tree. I mean, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing you'd expect the chief tax collector to be doing. But Jesus got to the spot, and he looked up at him, and he said, Zacchaeus, he knew his name. He knew his name. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He didn't say, I'd like to stay at your house. He said, I must stay at your house today. How do you think Zacchaeus felt about that? Here was a guy who, I think, you know, 
was really interested. He was desperate, really, to see Jesus. I don't think for a moment he was expecting to get anything out of this other than a good view. And imagine how he must have felt as he was sort of looking down out of his tree and Jesus looked up at him, looked at him, looked him in the eyes and said, come down here, I must come and stay in your house. I think his heart would have just leapt for joy. It would have been so far beyond anything that he was expecting. So verse 6, he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. But, and here we are, verse 7, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, well, he has gone to be the guest. He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And here we have Jesus once again running against what is expected, what is normal. Uh, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said, salvation today has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And um, Jesus, Zacchaeus you know, thinking about this, I thought, well, that's really interesting because Zacchaeus doesn't beg Jesus for mercy. He doesn't even express any particular sorrow. Uh, Jesus doesn't make any reference to Zacchaeus's faith or faith as, you know, made you well or anything like that. Um, but what Zacchaeus does do is he obeys Jesus' command. He hurries, hurry to come down from the tree, and he does. And, uh, and actually, that, that I think is, is one of the key things. Just again, skimming back in chapter 15 um, of Luke, there's a whole series of things about lost stuff, lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons, when they were found, there was great rejoicing. And actually, Zacchaeus was lost too, wasn't he? He was lost. Um, but he wanted to see Jesus. He was prepared to humiliate himself by climbing up a tree in order to achieve that. And Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, come down because today I must stay in your house. And, and for me, I find that incredibly moving because the fact is that no matter how hopeless we might think a person is, you know, whether they're a drug addict, whether they have mental health issues, uh, whether they're a murderer or a terrorist, a racist or a rapist, you know, Jesus came to seek the lost those are the lost people. Zacchaeus was lost, hopelessly lost in terms of Jewish society, but it was him that Jesus came to seek. He was the one that Jesus picked out. 
Christ came to save us all. So, here are a couple of questions for you. Um, and I'd really, uh, I'd really like you to talk these over perhaps in, in life groups this week. Um, and I'll copy this around to leaders later on. So first of all, Zacchaeus was fantastically generous. And it's interesting, here we are, another rich man. And without prompting, he said, I'm going to give half of my stuff, half of my riches away, and I'm going to give restitution four times anything that, you know, I might have cheated people out of. So here's the question. Zacchaeus showed that not only his heart, but his wallet had been converted to Christ. What about us? Are we in the same place? Can we honestly say that both our hearts and our wallets have been converted to Christ? How important is it? Second question for you. Um, so, if Jesus came to uh, seek out the lost, then surely that's what we should be doing too as a church. Surely that's, that's, that's what it should be about. So, how do we go about doing that? Who are the lost today, and where do we find them? How do we go about doing this? How does this change what we're up to as a church? So, first question, wallets. Second question, the lost. Enjoy discussing those, and uh, just join me now, if you would, with a prayer. Um, as we reflect on this passage. Heavenly Father, we know that your son Jesus came to seek the lost. He told his disciples so many times. He told so many stories about the lost. Help us as a church to continue his work, to seek out and to find the lost and to rejoice as do angels in heaven when they are found. Amen.